0: Mark chapter 8 and verse number 27. Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. So good to see everybody here today in the house of the Lord. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the town of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say, Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. Amen. I want to speak for a few moments here this morning on doppelganger. Doppelganger. Now, I know that today is traditionally a day that you get all spiffed up and you look nice. Amen. But is anybody going to help me preach here this morning for a few moments of time? Amen. Amen. And you all look nice. You all look nice. Praise God. Doppelganger. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we ask that you would direct us today. We give to you thanks. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. you can be seated. You may be wondering, what is a doppelganger? According to legend, a doppelganger is German for double walker, and it's a paranormal duplicate of a real person. That's what a doppelganger is. There's some nuances to the definition, but we'll start with the more paranormal version of what a doppelganger is. J- i got to pronounce this right. I looked this up, and last night I made sure. Johann Wolfgang von Gothe or Goethe, if you want German, is an individual that was a writer, a poet, and a politician. And one day, he was somewhat depressed, and he was riding on a footpath after leaving a girl named Frederica. Suddenly, he faced a mysterious person riding toward him. The person that he saw was clearly himself although he was wearing different clothes. And the figures soon disappeared and Gotha soon forgot all about it. Eight years later, he found himself riding down the same footpath in the opposite direction, again to see Frederica. And that's when he realized he was wearing the exact same clothes his doppelganger wore eight years ago. (laughs) Catherine the Great was a powerful 18th century empress of Russia. She was a powerful and a dangerous figure. It is said one night that Catherine was lying in her bed when her worried servants told her they had just seen her enter the throne room. When Catherine set out to investigate, she found her doppelgangers sitting calmly on the throne. She immediately ordered her sentries to shoot at her ghostly counterpart. The stories don't tell whether the bullets had any effect on the spectral empress. However, Catherine herself soon died. Abraham Lincoln was known as Honest Abe and as such was very open about his interest in the paranormal, at least in private discussions. And according to the man himself, he also experienced some paranormal activity. On the night of his first election, he took a moment to rest on his couch one evening, and while lying there, he happened to glance in the mirror and saw his own visage, except that he had two faces. A second Lincoln, pale and ghostly, was looking at him from the mirror right next to his own face. Startled, he rose from the couch, and the doppelganger disappeared. He sat back down only to see it again. Lincoln was startled, but his wife Mary was downright terrified. She was convinced that the doppelganger was bad news, a certain sign that Lincoln would be reelected on a second term, possibly because two Lincolns equals two terms, but wouldn't survive it because the second Lincoln looked deathly. Lincoln, indeed, didn't make it through his second term. Most of these stories have a negative impact. Another definition of the same word that's not as precise is of a person that looks like you and that can be mistaken for you. You see someone that looks so exact, you mistake them for the person you know. I'll never forget the 50th anniversary. It happened at 36 to no. This was really one of a this was really a weird experience for me. We had a 50th anniversary and people came from all over. It was the 36th to know. And there was a gentleman there. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to provide any other descriptions other to say that it was a gentleman. He was there at the 50th anniversary. And everybody greeted him, and we were aware that he was there. And a few weeks later, on the way to Oregon, we were riding in the Kauffman's Motorhome, going all the way to Oregon for a Bible quiz tournament. We stopped in Fresno, and it was a sketchy area off the freeway at a McDonald's. And all the kids piled out. It was not a good area. We went into McDonald's. We ate. On the way out of McDonald's, getting back into the vehicle's, Out of nowhere, he didn't come from McDonald's, he came from another direction, was this gentleman, at least I thought it was, this gentleman that was at the 50th anniversary. So I said, hey, brother, so-and-so, how are you doing? And he looked at me like I had lost my mind. And he said, you got the wrong guy. And he kept on walking. He looked so much like the guy that was at the 50th anniversary, that brother Frank Cabrera, you know, he's a bulldog. He said, no, 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 your brother so-and-so. And the gentleman said, you got the wrong fellow, man. He just kept walking. I got back in the car, and I'm driving, and I'm thinking, that guy looked too close to the guy that was at the 50th anniversary. And it was in a weird area. It was just weird. It was weird. It was strange. Very strange. Very strange. And so maybe I saw his doppelganger. I don't know about this kind of stuff. But when Jesus in this passage of scripture is asking his disciples, who do individuals say that I am? Some say you're the embodiment of a deceased person. Some say that you're John the Baptist. And some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're one of the prophets. Maybe you are Jeremiah or Zechariah or Isaiah. People are saying different things about you. They're not saying that you're the exact image of those people, but they're saying that you might be the spirit of a deceased one that they are seeing, and so they're saying these things. They're making these claims. What's interesting about this is they were imagining something they didn't know at that point, and that was they were imagining a deceased one that was resurrected and that was in front of them. They were prefiguring the fact that Jesus himself would die but that he would be resurrected and although made mistaken in this belief they were anticipating a great truth and that is the mystery of Jesus death and his resurrection and one greater than these asked the question as a matter of fact in John chapter 1 and verse 19 John himself was out preaching in Jordan and this was his record When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and denied not, but said, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They said, Are you that prophet? He said, No. Then said they unto them, Who are you, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And they which were sent of the Pharisees, they asked him and said, Why do you baptize then if you're not the Christ, nor Elias, nor that prophet? John answered saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes the latchet I am not worthy to unloose. John said, you need to prepare the way. Some may say he's Elijah, but he's greater than Elijah. Some may say he's me, John the Baptist, but he's greater than me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose his shoe latchet. He's greater. Some may say he is Isaiah, but he is greater than Isaiah. Who is he? His name is Jesus, and he is great, and he's worthy, and he's mighty, and he's greater than Moses, he's greater than the prophets. You're not seeing Elijah. You're seeing Jesus. You're not seeing John the Baptist. You're seeing Jesus. Praise God. And there's power and ability in his hand because, ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you in on a little clue here this morning. Jesus was before the doppelgangers. <laughs> the Old Testament talks about him and describes him as someone that is from the beginning. As a matter of fact, they had even in their scriptures a verse that was so important. They called it the Shema. And the Shema simply means here, it's Hebrew for here. And the Shema was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord they reverenced that and respected that so much they created these little boxes that they tied to their foreheads and tied to their hands and they were called phylacteries and they put this verse in those little boxes why because they valued the understanding that God is one they put mezuzahs on the doorposts of their houses every time you walk into the house there's this little box and in the box is the scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Because they had reverence and respect to that one God. Even in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You're serving the one true and living God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39, See now that I, even I am am he, and there is no God with me. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 22, wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 20, O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. Psalm 86 and verse 10, for thou art great and doeth wondrous things, thou art God alone. Own. I'm talking about worshiping the one true living God that was from the beginning, from the very beginning. Praise God. Isaiah was full of emphatic declarations. Isaiah 43 and verse 10. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant who I have cho- chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Listen, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. This is God speaking. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord the King of Israel, and his Redeemer the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44 and verse 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. I'm talking about Hebrews that had an understanding. We're not serving the gods of this world. We're not serving Baal Baal. And Asherah and Moabite's gods and all of the gods around us. We're serving the one true living God. We don't act like those people and those gods. Those gods sacrifice their children to the fire. God's like Molech. No, we serve the one true living God that breathed into us the breath of life. We're magnifying that God because he created us. God declared it. God declared it. Isaiah 45, verse 6, that you may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is none else. There's no God beside me. There's no God formed after me. I am even I am your savior follow after me this was their identity oh, I've come to preach today if there's an apostolic in this place your identity is an identification with that holy God of Israel that is one in his nature and in his character you're serving the one true living God that has all power in his hand and he can do anything and everything if you got a need today there's A God that can respond to your need. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, clap your hands and worship the Lord together. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Woo! I got more. I got more. I got I got more, but do you have the time? (laughs) Praise <laughs> uh, God Isaiah 46, 9 says Remember the former things of old For I am God and there is none else I am God and there is none like me There is none like me I want to tell you here I, I need to be I need to testify here today that there is nobody like God there is none like him I know there's pleasure in the world and the scripture said there's pleasure in sin for a season there are things that people enjoy out in the world I get that there's a lot of uh, partying and good times and all that kind of stuff but I'll tell you this there is nothing like the God that I serve hallelujah there is nothing none like him. You can chase those phantoms and doppelgangers all you want, but I found the one true living God, and he's not some mirage. He's not some identification with somebody that died a long time ago. He is the God of Israel, and he's the God that redeems and saves. Man, It's emphatic. It's emphatic, and it's often repeated in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus himself, in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus answered them, and listen to what he said. He said, the first of the commandments is Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen. Tyler, are you in the house today? He is. Tyler is in the house. He came running up to Bishop when he was young and he flexed his right arm. He said, look, Bishop. He said, look, look, look. He said, look at it. He was pointing out his muscle, his bicep. He said, this one's powerful. And then he said, this one's not too good over here, but but this one is very powerful. And there is something that is a spiritual truth to that because the scripture describes the Lord as having a right arm. A right arm is a position of power. Now, for all of you that are lefties, you know, just Transfer it over, okay? The right arm is powerful, and if you're a lefty, the left arm is powerful. The point is, God is powerful enough to save you out of whatever situation you got yourself in. Ha, he, can, he, can, he, he can pick you out of the miry clay, and he can establish your feet and provide to you a foundation that you can stand upon. Amen, and so there's this continuation of thought. Oh, I gotta hurry. Romans chapter three verse thirty: Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. First Corinthians eight and fourth: As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Galatians chapter 3 verse 20 says, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Mm, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6 says, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men man Christ Jesus James said in chapter 2 verse 19 thou believest that there is one God thou doest well the devils also believe and tremble Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 2 John said immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne hallelujah Praise God, praise God. Well, then how are you going to see who's sitting on the throne? A little kindergarten girl, she was drawing. The teacher came up to her, and the teacher looked at what she was doing and what she was drawing. She said, oh, that looks very, very nice. She said, "Uh, what, what are you drawing? And the girl said, I am drawing God. Teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat or looking up from her drawing, the girl replied, they will in a minute. How are you going to see that which is invisible? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning (laughs) Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature who's the image of the invisible God Jesus is the image of the invisible God hallelujah 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 but if our gospel be hid it's hid to him them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. God is a spirit. He is the father in creation. He is the origin of all things. You cannot see a spirit but the sonship is with the birth of Christ and it is the statement of God, the spirit of God that is not fully realized until when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. The sonship had a beginning. You couldn't see God. You couldn't see the Father until Jesus was born into the world. And then when you looked on Jesus, you're not looking at Elijah, brother. You're looking at God manifested in the flesh. You're not looking at Isaiah, brother Jeremy. You're looking at God manifested in the flesh. You're looking at the King of Kings kings and the Lord of lords. You're looking at the only Savior and it's wrapped up in Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Matter of fact, this created some problems because Philip was trying to understand this. Jesus is the image of what cannot be seen. He is the fullness of that unseen nature and character that is in Jesus Christ. And John Tells us the story about Philip that was trying to get his brain wrapped around this. Jesus said to Philip in John chapter 14 and verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And by the way, the I am there is a go a me. I, not someone else, am. And that I am is connecting to the burning bush I am that speaks to Moses. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him, and you've seen him. (laughs) Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't a doppelganger that they were seeing. It was God manifested in the flesh, and he's the Savior of the world, and his name is Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about it anymore. He is the God that has created all things that breathed breath into you and gave to you life. It's not Elijah, but it's Jesus. so he asked that question, whom do people say I am? Who do they say? Who do they say? Amen. As Brother McAllister comes this morning. And then he said, who do you say? Mm, There's a message there too. It's not just about what they say. It's about what are you going to do with the truth? They're going to say a lot of things, but what do you say? Well, I want to say here today, I'm so thankful I know who he is. I want to say today, I appreciate the fact that in this house, his anointing is here in this place. And his anointing is able to deliver the oppressed, to heal the wounded. Hallelujah. To reach out and bring encouragement to the distressed and depressed. This is the kind of God that I serve. I've got personal stake in the game. I'm not just saying it, but I want to do it. I'm not just telling somebody to worship God, but I'm worshiping God myself. Because I recognize his you to me. And Peter huh, Peter he answers the question in Mark and he says thou art the Christ. And in that statement there is both genius and inadequacy. Now hang with me just for a few minutes here. There is genius in it because Peter is the one that recognizes The Christ in the Old Testament that everybody's looking for, all the prophecies, the Christ that delivers from foreign domination and oppression, the Christ that's going to come with a rod of iron and rule with power. Peter said, you're that Christ. And that is genius because Jesus wasn't coming in that mentality or model that most were looking for. He was coming in humbleness. He wasn't coming to throw off Roman domination and rule. He was coming in a much different way, and Peter recognized that. <clears throat> but it was inadequate because I don't believe at that moment Peter had a complete understanding in his theology about who really Jesus was. And you say, well, what, what, what makes you say that? You, you can have your own t- interpretation, but just... In my interpretation reading the scripture, if Peter really would have known, I think he did at some point, it became very apparent, especially after Jesus' resurrection. Then he realized. But at the point where he said the Christ, he doesn't realize. All he knows is you are the Christ. You're the one that we've been looking for. But he doesn't know the resident power that is in Jesus because the resident power in Jesus is the God that creates the universe and a grave's not going to hold his body down peter struggles with this because jesus tells them the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he said it openly and peter took him and began to rebuke him and when he had turned about and looked on his disciples he rebuked peter saying get thee behind me satan For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. In one moment, you recognize he's the Christ. And the next moment, you're called Satan and you're being rebuked. It's because Jesus was telling them something that was hard for their minds to grasp. And Peter couldn't get his head around the death part. He heard all that, but he never heard resurrection. All he heard was death. You understand that? All he heard was death. The Son of Man is going to suffer and die. Boom! Peter shut him off right there. He didn't hear the, the rest of the story that he's going to rise again in power and authority. All Peter heard is death. And so he rebukes Jesus. He couldn't accept the notion of suffering and death, there was a mental block. Because death means it's over. Huh? Death is final. Death means there's nothing on the other side of it. It's over. And this was a great teaching point because Jesus wants death and resurrection to run throughout the lives of his disciples. They don't understand at this point, but they would. They would on the other side of the grave. What Jesus wants them to understand, he wants there to be a pattern of life that they follow and that we follow. That when we experience difficulties in life, he wants us to believe that God can make good come from them. I'm preaching to somebody here today that there have been some things that would be described as death that has occurred in your life. It seems like there is no way forward, that there is a finality to where you are and where you're standing. But I've come to preach to you on Resurrection Sunday that it's never over until it's over. And the one that has the final word to that is Jesus Christ himself. And the grave could not hold him. And death could not hold him. He came forth with resurrecting power. It is not over, Brother Andrew, because God is still in the business this, of reaching out and responding to individuals. Oh, I'm preaching faith in this place today. Jesus wanted that theme to run through the disciples. It may feel like you're being persecuted. It may feel like you've got nothing left in the tank, but you still believe in me because you understand that there is a hope in me. Death couldn't control me. I've got a hold of your future got a grasp of your tomorrow no matter what difficulties may come I'm a God that can respond to you I can make good things come out of the ashes oh I wish somebody would hear what I'm saying here in the house of God today you feel like it's death and ashes you feel like it's a tomb rock and a stone that has been closed over and there's no way i'm ever getting out of where i am and i can't see from where i am it's dark i'm telling you there's a light that's coming there's a crack that's coming and the stone is rolling away and there is resurrection power that is coming forth as god reaches for you and speaks faith and hope to you that there is an opportunity no matter how dead it looks like when we face the sacrifices that we make in order to follow Jesus he wants us to remember ultimately God will bring good from them praise God that, sacri- that sacrifices are worth it Nah, I know this is not the world's mentality and world view, but this is God's mentality. When you make a sacrifice, you listen to me. You listen to me. I know you're just here because you're visiting and family and all that, but you listen to me. I want you to hear it from me. No matter what the sacrifice is that you give to God, God uses the sacrifice, and it's the way to good life. No matter what you lay down. I don't know if I can get rid of that. I want to hang on to that because that's something that is very personal to me. You lay that down, God will do something that you can't even imagine. He'll bring life and understanding to you that you can't even imagine. I'm telling you, the sacrifices that you lay down on an altar, God takes those and he provides to you a better way, a better life, full of hope, full of peace, full of joy. Is there a witness in the house? God called. you from a mess and dysfunction and you laid down some sacrifices and it's been the best thing that you've ever done in your entire life. I want you to lift your hands if that has been the case and I want you to lift your voice here today just for a moment and let's thank God for the resurrecting power This is what it means when Jesus says to embrace the cross whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me the cross will lead us to fullness of life amen bring your sacrifices to the cross and pray for resurrection bury it bury it bury it and know he lives Peter Peter was a mess He denied the Lord three times he failed miserably it looked like it was a shut case and it was over but there's a Jesus that appears to him and says Peter you gotta understand you only heard die. You only heard death. You didn't hear resurrection. I want you to know that I'm a God that is in resurrecting power. And the calling that I've put in your life, it's the same calling. It's still valid. Pick yourself up from the ashes. Walk away from your denials and stand on the day of Pentecost and preach a message that is still resonating across the entire world that you need to repent, be baptized in Jesus name and his spirit will come and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. There's still hope, Peter. There's still hope. Praise God in conclusion today as some have already started together. Sister Frida in the month of March said we're just going to put a I'm going to call it I'm going to call it the tomb. Is that all right? Because all of March right into it, couldn't have been more perfect and illustrated. In which people that came in, they put stuff in here. I don't know what's in here. There's probably some real personal things in here. There's probably some things, Brother Nate, that, that could be described as a death. And so people coming in to pray would, write out a prayer request and drop it in there there's probably people in here that are being prayed about because their life looks like death and it looks so cold and indifferent and hard and it seems like there's decay somebody dropped a prayer request in there and lifted up your name in prayer into what looks like a tomb and I'm assuming she wrote it it says, expect a miracle. Praise God, praise God. Expect a miracle. Amen. Let the world follow the doppelgangers, but I'm following Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you drop something in this, you need to step out of the pew where you are and say, God, I know it looks dead, but I'm coming today on a day of resurrection and life. If you've got circumstances in your life, you need to step out of the pew where you are and say, God, you're a God that brings hope. Hope, hope. You're a living God. Hallelujah. We serve a God that is a resurrected Savior. And I bring my faith to you and I bring my confidence to you today is our God. Amen. I bring myself to you. See you it with it. me how great is our God. And all oh, will see how great how great God. Come on, present, God. present that thing which you've been praying about. How great is Hallelujah, put your faith on it today in Jesus' name. Shine God, in the dark. Let there be light that shines in the dark. I thank you praise you personally. And I'm not following a doppelganger. Yeah, I'm following rejoice, Jesus. On the earth rejoice. Praise God. Praise God. He have himself in light. And darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice. God, come on. The master's in the house today you need today? What do you need today? The healer is here in this place. The one that's wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father is in the house.